Welcome. Welcome in to Sports Talk Chicago. All gas, no brakes. If you're looking for the same old sports talk, get out. You've come to the wrong place. Hey, we ain't come this far just to come this far, you hear me? I tell you what I see, I tell you the truth. We going hard today. We're fearless, bold, and highly opinionated. This here show. This show is so hot right now. The biggest guests, the hottest takes, and the best interviews live right here. Do you actually remind me of Dan Patrick? Because you ask great questions, you have the knack, you have the gift. On Sports Talk Chicago. Yo, Chicago. Here's your host. The guy's an absolute stud. John Zagul. Hi, everybody. Welcome into Sports Talk Chicago. Great to see everybody here with us on all of our great radio and TV affiliates across Illinois and Indiana. WKAN 105.5, the ticket ACTV, JTV, WJOB, and Cities 92.9 Talk. My name's John Zaglul. John Meadows is directing and producing. We have a huge guest joining us right here in just a second. Remember, you can follow us all over at Sports Talk Chicago. Subscribe to the YouTube page at Sports Talk Chicago. Give us a thumbs up on this video if you enjoy it. And I really appreciate everybody being here tonight for a huge guest, somebody that we need to talk about who comes on right around this time every year. And we're certainly excited to have him here with us. He's a seven-time All-Star current baseball Hall of Fame candidate, which we're going to get to a lot in this interview, and the head baseball coach at the Miller School. Please welcome the MLB legend, Billy Wagner, to the program. Billy, it's great to see you. How are you? Oh, I'm great, John. It's always great to be back and always, always fun to talk with you. Thank you. Yeah, it's great to have you back here. Certainly looking forward to this conversation. Uh, wanted to start by talking about your coaching. First of all, how did this past year go for you down at the middle at the Miller School? Well, well you know, high school baseball is always, uh, you never know what you're going to get with young men and women. Uh, you know, it, it has been fun. Uh, I think uh, you're, it's always fun when you're dealing with development, and that's your, your main concern. Uh, and I think going through pro ball and everything that I've been able to, to experience and being able to pass that down, um, you know, has been great to be able to, to share with these young men and women. You know, I have some tremendous athletes. Uh, you know, I think somebody that stands out is a, a young lady that I coach, Naomi Ryan, who is uh, on the U.S. women's uh, Olympic team. And, you know, being able to be an advocate for her and push push her and uh, along with the other young men who are working to want to, want to get to where I've been. Uh, you know, those are things that I really get excited about. And, and I tell you, I probably lose more sleep over that than I have anything else. <laughs> so how is it for you to kind of develop all these kids? As you said, they're all trying to make it to where you were. What's that like from your perspective already being there and being this MLB legend? Well, I think a lot of it's just being being realistic and, and letting them know that you're in high school and trying to be the best high school ball player that you can be before you start looking into the major leagues. And you know, having having that experience, it, it's easy to sit there and, and have that discussion about what what you know, these major league players actually look like. When you look at a Freddie Freeman and you you look at some of these guys that are monsters, that you know you you can't see that on TV. You you just can't experience it until you're in that dugout, in that locker room, and you walk by these guys and you just go, "Wow, these guys are monsters." Jason Hayward, the guys like that are just monsters. And so I think having having that that view allows me to sit there and go, hey, let's be the best high school player. Let's let's really develop that and then move on. And you know, you know, I've been so blessed. God's blessed me so much by being able to sit there and, and have some really really talented players. I've got I think eight players that are in uh, pro ball now. Uh, 
I think I have uh, three that are in AAA that are right on the cusp of getting their, their debut. So, I, I mean, you know, I've been blessed to have that type of talent that come through. And, you know, being able to travel and do things with these guys, give them experiences, and it has been very uh, worthwhile. And you, you can see that in their growth. As a developmental coach, you talk about all this success that you've had with some of your past players. Is there an ability for you or a want for you to move up from the high school level, maybe teach college or even go to the minor, even major league level? Well, yeah, I mean, it would have to be the, the, the perfect situation by far. But I think the biggest thing that I enjoy in the high school is that mentorship, having that relationship to be able to talk to them. To really be real, I, I think the NCAA hampers you with uh, coaches with the ability to to have the relationship to really really focus on the development and growth of the game. I, I think now the game has become if you're not you know this monster by the time you're in the tenth grade, you've already you're you're done. You can't you can't play at these levels. I, I you know thank God that I was before this because you know I feel like I would have been one of those kids that probably doesn't. Uh, you know, I probably don't get that opportunity today that I got back then because people, you know, uh, you know, I was very raw. Now, nowadays, you have to be so much better. Uh, my son's a pitcher. My youngest son's a pitcher, and he is ten times better than I was when I was in high school. But you sit here, and they they, they are very much, you know, they're scrutinized and stuff through the social media. When you turn on that social media, all of a sudden, you automatically go, "Oh my gosh, look at this." Look at this 12-year-old throwing 95, and you're like, holy gosh, what, I, what do I do to get better? How do I do this? And so that's part of me, and what I enjoy the most is like saying, hey, let's let's just enjoy the game. Let's really enjoy what the game, the pureness of the game. So, you know, unlike other teams that we played, you know, I, I bunt and hit and run, and, you know, I, I work those types of things and, you know, try to play the game as uh, truthful as, as possible. But uh, I, I think the game has changed in large amounts just because of the social media. And so just playing that, you know, kind of playing in between and trying to keep guys in in check is has uh, been, a, you know, a joy for me because I know how difficult it is. Do you think some of those purest strategies should be utilized more in Major League Baseball? What do you think about the direction of that part of the game today? Well, I, you know, I think what's unique about today's game um, and I, I'm hoping I'm answering this correctly. Uh, is that you know we, we're wanting to speed the game up. We're wanting to make we're wanting right. to cut out some of the dead air. Well, I get that. And that's fine. I, you know I think the bigger bases are great. I think the, the clock is great. I have no problem with the clock. I think you know by the time you're in the big leagues, you pretty much know what you need to do and what your your strengths and weaknesses are. So you you know you you should know how to to move quickly. I think you know uh, the minor leaguers today have um, they have a much better attitude on it and they have made that you know uh adjustment um but but i but i mean you know um the the pureness of the game is still the bunts you know now the bunt is going to become the steals getting back in more into because now you can only pick off at a certain time you know now you now you've got pitching coaches strategizing when do i pick off all right when am i stealing it two seconds in the in into the pitch clock I, I can do these things and so now you're tinkering with these things so i think there's still scheme and, and then stuff you know i mean i'm a traditionalist so i was all about the dh i thought that was great uh, i wasn't a very good hitter that's why i was a pitcher and so now <laughs> you know uh i like that dh i like being able to pinch hit and do some things uh in that 
fashion, but I, I think, uh, you know, there is, you know, facing the straight nine with the DH now, you know, uh, it is a little different. Uh, you know, that was an American league thing and you, you got to enjoy it. But now, now you experience it throughout the league and, and stuff. Did you ever get in that bat in the major league game? Unfortunately, yes. <laughs> and I say that, I say that, you know, uh, you know, very rarely did I get a at bat that I wanted because if I got in at bat, I usually sucked some way and I had to stay in the game and I blew a save or something like that. But occasionally, you know, I would I would get that at bat where we were winning. I had to come in and hold a lead. I got that lead, and so my bat came up and stuff like that. Now, you know, the good thing is I that that is one of those experiences that you know I get to hold over uh, these kids that I do have two hits in the big leagues, and that you know. Uh, it's not as difficult as they keep making it out to be, but but and now my my oldest son plays and he's in Triple A and now, you know he 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 got actually got to pitch two innings in a ball in a blowout game and threw scoreless, and so he gives me a hard time talking about how easily it is to pitch and so, you know, it, it, you know it does give a good perspective when you're when you're you all you've done is pitch and now you get in a bat here and there it does give a good perspective of like. Hitting is not as easy as it looks when all you're doing is pitching. But, uh, you know, uh, that was fun. I mean, my bats, some of my bats weren't as fun as I expected when you're facing Nin and some of these guys that, you know, throw very hard and really good stuff. You can really look foolish. But I, I had fun with it. I would tell the catcher, I'm like, hey, can you do this? Because I really want to see what this looks like. And so they go out there. I mean, I'm striking out anyway, buddy. Come on. It doesn't really matter what you throw. Let's just – let's. I want to see what all these guys are clamoring about. So to be able to get to see those things, you know, that was fun. Billy Wagner, MLB legend, here with us on Sports Talk Chicago. Billy, what's the key to being a good closer? Having a good manager. I mean, <laughs> you know, it really is. And somebody that believes in you keeps giving you a chance. I mean, you can't have numbers if you don't have somebody that's going to, you know, uh, weather some of the storms that a closer goes through because no matter how good you are, you know, uh, you're going to have a bad week. You're going to have a bad weekend. I mean, I think we've all had, you know, every closer that's ever played had press where it's talked about not being the same or you're, you're, you know, is this the end? I mean, I'm, you know, playing in New York. I, I read articles about Mo. I read articles about Trevor and Johnny Franco and Rob Nin and all these guys that, uh, you know, Lee Smith. I mean, you, you just can't have it. Just you have that. But what I think is amazing is when you have the manager you just can weather that storm and sticks by you and keep putting you out there. And I did. Larry Durker was great letting me learn how to to be that closer and have consistency. And when you have that, when you're a good closer, it's because that manager is giving you chances to keep going out there. And then you figure it out, how to rebound from a bad game. And you can't you can't have success without the failure. And you, you can't make these, these adjustments without it. And so... Um, you know, I, I, I really contribute a lot to Terry Collins, uh, Larry Durker. I mean, uh, you know, these guys, Jimmy Williams and, and guys just continue to give me that opportunity when I was in, in Houston to, to be that closer and get those chances. How did you do it for so many years? You see closers today with, at times, a shorter shelf life in Major League Baseball. You lasted for a long time, put up 420-plus saves. How did you do it? Well, I, I mean, you just, I, I think love, the, the love of going out there every day. I loved, when, when I came up, I was a starter, and I hated starting. Right. Um, you know, it, it was good on the day you started, but it, the, the other 
four days was not not much fun because you were you were thinking about that start or whatever, but there was something about being, you know, you felt like an everyday player as a closer. You could go out every day and compete. You had a role to play. You could, you had to be on the edge. You weren't just sitting in the dugouts and thinking about what, what, uh, what was going on and what was happening. And you knew that three run lead, you got to be ready. You knew what time that lineup was, how it was being flipped and who to be ready for. And there was something having that mentality of every day being ready. And I mean, you know, that that just that was the fun part and the joy of the game going to the park every day knowing that you had a chance to play and so uh, that that was you know and that goes back to if you're successful you, you know you get to play more and so that was a, that was a joy and you know we I was on a ton of good teams that gave me those opportunities and when you play on teams that are good you, you get those opportunities and it gives you that longevity let me ask you this. What was the most dominant Sabre appearance that you made in your career, if you could recall? The most dominant appearance for a save? Yes. Gosh, I don't know. I think, uh, I'll tell you, I think uh, there's a couple, I think, that really stand out. And I think the two that stand out to me was probably real early in my career against San Francisco in Houston. And um, it, it it was I I came in the game and I think Bagwood made an error. I think Biggio makes an error. Uh, I walk a guy. I've, I've, uh, I've got one out. You know, uh, Randy Nor comes out, and you know, being green and naive is really a blessing. So, but he comes out and he goes, "Hey, man, we're going to throw six fastballs here, and we're going to the house." So I'm like, "Okay, here we go." Well, the next two guys I'm facing is um, Barry Bonds and Matt Williams. So I mean, you know. So, you know, that was the first introduction to a high-pressure situation and I ended up punching out the side or punching those two guys out. And so you're like, okay, you know, and, every, and that was when you got that respect. I remember back one, and that's when everybody was like, oh, wait a minute, this guy's special. This could be something unique and, and stuff. But I, And then I think the, the, the next one might have been, uh, and that's because it's probably closer to the end of my career, but uh, and, I, and I can remember it, is... Uh, I think it was for my 400 save against Detroit in Atlanta, and I punched out uh, the side. Uh, you know, I think there was, uh, you know, I'm sure there's a few other ones, but I, I think those stand out because I think the San Francisco really gave me, everybody stood up and took notice of what I did against those two great hitters. Um, but, I mean, I think, uh, you know, to get to that 400th and punch out the side still showed that dominance. So, I, I mean, there was some, I'm sure there were many. I think, you know, uh, the no, you know, there was, there, there were probably plenty more, but I think uh, those stood out to me right off the top of my head. How did 400 feel for you when you got to the 400 mark? What did it feel like? Well, because there was no real, nobody knew what the Hall of Fame number was for a closer. You know, no, it hadn't been established at all if you get, this save, you're on making like a 300 wins and 3,000 hits and all these things. You didn't, you didn't know. So 400 seemed to be like that might be the number that kind of said like, hey, this established you as a dominating player. You get into the Hall of Fame. You know, you have credentials, you know, that kind of thing. But um, that night going out there, I remember running it, and you know, um, you really don't realize how many people know about this, and you don't. You and that night. Uh, you know, I come in, I had some of my college teammates that were having to be there. Um, you know, the, 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 it was packed house. Um, and, 
I remember running out and it just felt different. It was kind of like that, that, you know, just in, in the zone type thing where you're kind of out of body and it felt like you were just and It was just very, it was just one of those easy nights where you punched outside and it didn't seem, it didn't seem like you put a lot into it. It was just effortless. And it's just one of those magical nights that you, you have occasionally. And, uh, and that's, and that's how that, that felt. But, you know, knowing that you also thought that that was leading to something bigger. So I assume you kind of had an idea, hey, this is significant. This is a big deal that I got to 400. Uh, I, yeah, I, there hadn't been many. I think at that time there was only uh, a handful of guys. And, and I mean, uh, you know, since then, I think uh, Frankie Rodriguez, I think uh, uh, Kimbrell and uh, Kenley have gotten it since then. But I think at that point, there was only four or five of us. So, yeah, it was significant knowing that uh, – what you'd establish and, and stuff. And so that, that seemed to be the, the staple point, you know, not really knowing, uh, you know, what, what it really was. And it, because closers weren't valued quite like, uh, I should, I, and I don't really want to use Mariano as a, as a closer because he was, he was a completely different animal when he, he played, he was, he was, he wasn't. So for, for some of the, the lower level closers, I guess we'll call them, you know, we, you know, that seemed, you know, big deal and i should add hoffman too because lord have mercy those two got so many saves together i mean you know, they named an award after him so i i think those are unique those are two unique i think everybody else in that 400 are kind of in that situation where you feel like you know that's the number and your dominance shows shows the, the efficiency definitely more with billy wagner coming up next we still have to talk about his hall of fame candidacy you don't want to miss that coming up in the next segment stay with us here on sports talk chicago sports talk chicago john's glue john meadows back here with you billy wagner is our guest he's going to come back here in just a second uh, be sure to follow us all over at sports talk chicago you miss any of this show including this great exciting exclusive interview head over to sportstalkchicago.com and podcast it you can also find the video on our youtube page hit the like button subscribe to the channel and hit up all of our great radio and TV affiliates that we're on every single week. WKAN 105.5 The Ticket, ACTV, JTV, WJOB, and City's 92.9 Talk FM. We're still here with Billy Wagner, seven-time All-Star, current baseball Hall of Fame candidate, and the head baseball coach at the Miller School. Talked a lot about Billy's coaching career and obviously playing career in the first segment. And Billy, with you here now, let's talk about the big news out there. The cat's out of the bag. It's your ninth year on the ballot out of ten for the Baseball Hall of Fame, what do you make of your Hall of Fame case today? Well, I'm not a very good car salesman, so I, I know that if I go talking about my candidacy, it's, it's not going to go very well, so I'm only <laughs> going to shoot myself in the foot. But I, I think when you talk about those things, and I, I think what I, what I would like to talk about when we talk about my candidacy is like the Todd Heltons, you know, the Gary Sheffields, the guys like that, that uh, – you know, the Andrew Jones, uh, guys like that are similar situations I am. We're on the cusp. There's, a, there's a, those, you know, we we did it the right way. There was no steroid implications. Your name wasn't leaked out there to anything. I think things like that. Uh, I think, you you know, being a stand-up person, you know, answering the call, not always being the best. I, I mean, I was, I've always been known for, for having very good <laughs> – interviews because I was never afraid to, to, to step away and probably should have at times. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but, but I, I think, you know, when, when you view yourself with these type of 
candidates and you watch the and you know what Andrew Jones was when he stepped in uh, when he was young and the difference he made in a team I, I don't I don't Greg Maddox didn't Greg Maddox without Andrew Jones uh, neither is Glavin the, I mean the runs that the normal center fielder gives up is different than what Andrew Jones gives up and it's you're you're, you're a different player and so for every good closer there was so many people behind you that made these great plays and I mean I wouldn't be where I'm at today wouldn't have the success I had today if I hadn't had those types of players and so when you think about the Sheffields and their abilities to go out and do what they did on a consistency and I mean I think Gary's got like close to 1500 or 1500 RBIs or something like that I mean those are those are substantial those are big time things and I and I mean he, he's, you know, and I think Andrew Jones and Todd Hilton playing in, in, in the era that he did. And, and I don't care where you play. You still got to produce. I mean, you know, we can talk about this all, all we want. But I think those guys, uh, you know, I'm excited for those guys. You know, it would be, you know, I think Adrian Beltran will definitely go in. I think there will be no doubt about that. He's, he was a great player from the day he stepped on the field. So, you know, I'm happy about that. It's fun to watch that. Uh, Jim Leland being in the Hall of Fame is fantastic and well overdue. You know, what a, what a great stigma, what just a personality for the game, uh, true champion. Uh, for myself, to be put in that situation is an honor. To be on that page, to be looked at uh, in that way is an honor. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to stand here and say that, you know, the way I feel about myself, I did what I was supposed to do. As my grandfather said, I didn't do anything that I wasn't supposed to do. So going out and winning games and striking people out and doing, getting saves is what I was paid to do. So uh, those are difficult questions for me to answer because I feel that uh, those, those are for the, the, the guys that I played against. To, they, they're the ones that should be answering, is Billy Wagner a Hall of Famer? Those are the guys that I think that I respect. What have any of your peers, if you know, said about you and about your candidacy in terms of the Hall of Fame? Well, you know, I think a few guys, I think, you know, you know, Trevor came out saying, saying he thought I was a Hall of Famer, which is always good when you have your peers that are already in, uh, Chipper, Tom Glavin, Bagwell and Biggio. Um, you know, there, there's been a, there's been a handful. There's been, I'm sure plenty. I, I don't know right off the top of my head, but I know that, um, you know, those are guys that, you know, the press has reached out to to find out what they think. And I, I think when guys that are in the Hall of Fame can, can say, I think they know what a Hall of Famer is. I think they have an idea. And so when you reach out, you know, you know, especially guys you played with, guys you played with, they know you inside and out. They know you in the locker room. They know you on the bus rides. They know you in the flights. They know you on the field, off the field. They know all these things. And so when you, when you get that type of, pat on the back by Chipper Jones or Jeff Bagwell. They've seen you good and bad. They've seen all the things, the positive things, the times you talked about their family more and you've talked about their, their bad. I, I think there's, you know, we talk about the character, those types of things. Those are the guys that I think, you know, that's why I think those those types of guys mean more. And I think, you know, I, I mean, why players, when they have, when they, they, they should probably have more of an impact on who they think it's it, it's not a biased thing when you you do have dominance you know and, and i think it's very easy when you don't know players like i mean i wouldn't expect a guy out in california to know billy wagner i mean you know um 
we, I, I wasn't out there a lot. Uh, but, but I think when you talk and, and you, you meet a Billy Wagner, it, you see a difference. When you're, when, you're, when you're in the batter's box and people see it, it's different. So, you know, I, I think that, you know, for me, all I can do by talking about my candidacy is shoot myself in the foot. <laughs> How have you felt about the recent growth of support for you, though? I mean, you debuted around, what, 10.5%? Last year you got up to 68%. You still have two years left. How have you felt about that growth in general? Well, you know, in a lot of ways, surprised. Uh, <laughs> I'm surprised. I mean, I, you know, <laughs> I really stopped looking. Uh, last year was a total shock. I mean, that you know, that that, that jumped that way. And I, I think it's made this year a little bit harder, of course, because now, you know, 27 votes out. You know, uh, Jesus Ortiz has been a good friend of mine who has really pushed for my candidacy uh, and, and talking and, and, and to other people. And, you know, trying to get people to, to be a Billy Wagner supporter, uh, you know, and, and I'm really, really thankful for, for him and, and, and that. And then Gene Diaz in, in, uh, uh, in Houston has been very good for me, pushing out that uh, my agenda for that. And Jay Horowitz for the Mets. They, he's been, Jay's been fantastic and always been a big supporter. Uh, you know, you know, it, it's it's great to see this jump, but it is nerve-wracking because you know that 27 votes are very hard to get, and you know, and that's that's like getting those last three outs in the ninth inning. It's those are the hardest ones to get, and so you know, trying to talk to people, and that's something I, I don't do. So I'm not reaching out to people I don't know half these people, you know, I, and I and I don't want to go out there and sway somebody. And because I don't, I don't know them. They don't know me, and I don't think it's right to, to do that. You either like me, and believe that this is because you've seen me compete, and you know where those stats are, and and you you have a true feel, and it's not, it's it's a true unbiased feel. That's that's the way it should be. So I, you know, I, I'm very happy. Hopefully, you know, somehow, some way, you know, I get 27, get 75 percent to, to to make that that jump. How do you feel around this time of year? I mean, it sounds like clearly and understandably you're a bit nervous. I mean, this year and the next, you only got two years left. You're, you're so close. What, what are those feelings like inside of you when this time comes around? Well, it's more when I do these interviews that I start to really get nervous <laughs> because we, we talk about it. You know, I, I have no idea where I stand right now. I have no idea where I stand with in, in the uh, in voting. Uh, you know, I, I don't. I don't pay attention to it because I'm not good with disappointment. I, you know, I, I mean, um, yeah, I think my kids know about it more than I do. I think it's when it's bad is when you, you are, you see, um, you know, people write them negative things. So, you know, that you can't control and your kids read it. And, you know, those are the toughest part. Those are the tough. And so, you know, not my advice. It's just been, you know, I don't want to know that. I just, I don't want to know, you know, um, you know, these things are, you know, I think it is what it is. I think if it's meant to be, it'll be. Uh, but at this point, you know, I'm, I'm gearing up for spring baseball. And so, uh, you know, I've got New Year's coming up. I'm going to hang out with my family, go watch my daughter in Nashville play basketball. And then I'm just going to, you know, really dive into that, that baseball, the high school baseball, and take my mind and uh, a lot of that pressure off of me. What would it mean to you if you got in? Well, I mean, 
I mean, it's, you know, that's what we all play for. I mean, you, you play for rings and to be, and, and I feel like when you're voted in, there is a substantial respect for you and what you've done for the game and how you went about playing that game and, you know, your character in the game. Um, I think there's something that there's just a, a huge effect that, that you're able to, to, to feel and a pride that I don't think, uh, you know, it's something you can you describe until you get there. I, I think thinking back and, and thinking about the guys that went before you and watching millions and millions of these, it feels like they're, they're, they're Hall of Fame speeches. I mean, you know, going back and, and listening to some of the media talk about guys who, how they practiced. And it, it just, it, it's, you know, I know it'll be very emotional. I know it'll be, uh, you know, you know. I don't, I don't even know what day it even comes out, but I mean, I'm, I'm sure somebody will let me know. And, you know, I'm sure that day, if I do happen to get a, a call, it'll be, uh, you know, I know I'll be on a baseball field when I get the call, so it'll be, you know, pretty, uh, pretty emotional. You had mentioned earlier people like Andrew Jones, Todd Helton, uh, Larry Walker recently got in. Do you feel like your case, your candidacy, provides some hope for people like that who didn't really have a lot of support to begin with, but their support, like yours, has grown greatly? Well, I, I definitely. I think people get to know you a little bit more the more you're on the ballot. I think people get to look at Andrew Jones, the Sheffields, the Heltons uh, a little longer and, and really get to dive into just how great they really are. And, you know, I've been blessed to be, be on this ballot this long and, you know, uh, and when you look back at guys who had been on this ballot before and, and didn't get in and, and then went to the Veterans Committee, I mean, Lee Smith, I mean, is the epitome of, of you know, that. You know, e- even the Fred McGriff. Uh, guys like that, uh, I mean, are, you know, great examples of what can happen. You know, so you can't give up hope. I think, uh, you know, being on this ballot gives you a, a, a you know, you know, is really a... a should give you some pride and some hope, and 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 the longer you're on here, the the the, you should, the more you have a shot at getting into that, to uh, getting to the ultimate prize. So you know, I think I think you know guys will get in. I think, you know, I really hope that Gary Sheffield gets in this year, and I really hope that Todd gets in. I know he's really super close, and I think that uh, Andrew will definitely get in. And I I think that you know hopefully you know. Uh, Somehow there's 27 voters out there that, you know, feel feel like I'm worthy. So, you know, fingers crossed, I guess. I will say this. I know you said you didn't want to make your case. I'll make it for you for an extent. This is me talking, not you. So I want to make your case just for a second here. More strikeouts per nine than Trevor Hoffman. Better ERA plus than Trevor Hoffman. Um, better ERA in general than Hoffman. Now you made last appearances, of course, but... Nevertheless, the rate stats show that there was dominance for a long, long period of time from 95 to 2010. So, you know, you don't even have to react to that necessarily, but the numbers are there to support your case. And I hope that more voters see that here with two years left to go. Well, I mean, I mean, that's what longevity gets you, right? I mean, there's so many numbers out there anymore. And when you, you think about dominance and what really is your grading factor. I mean, that's what you're looking for. And so when you're looking for, 
you know, where, where was he dominant? I mean, in 16 years, the league hit 187 against you. I mean, what, what else do you want him to do? I mean, um, you know, 33% of the time I was striking somebody out. I mean, those are, those are things that, and, and I mean, when I hope that when people are thinking about, hey, you know, do I want to vote for this guy or not, that they're, think, they're not thinking about, you know, anything more than just the numbers, because the numbers are what you're graded on, not, you know, you know, not knowing somebody or, or somebody hearsay. It, it, there, you know, until you know the person, you can't really talk about character. Billy Wagner still here with us on Sports Talk Chicago. Billy, a few more questions here before we finish up. First off, how did you become a left-handed pitcher? <laughs> well, you would think, uh, you know, I, I've done it myself, but I, I did, it was luck. Honestly, pure luck. Uh, playing football in, in my grandmother's front yard and getting tackled and fell on and breaking my, my right arm. And uh, then going out uh, shortly after that, a couple months later, I think it was, and uh, on the monkey bars and falling and breaking it again. So, I mean, you know, obviously God, God is real and has a real purpose for you because there's no way that that happens. And I, I turn left-handed and, and able to throw a hundred miles an hour. So, you know, I just, you know, there, there was something to that and very blessed in, in that regards, but I don't think anybody was looking at that from at that point when I was growing up, but, uh, man, it's crazy to think how, how, things are now when you look back at how that all transpires and billy before we finish up today last question um how's your faith impacted your baseball career and your life here today i'd love to hear it well you know when you when you come from where i came from broken home you come from uh and, and going through multiple uh, schools and breaking your arm and being going from right hand to left hand i mean i think um faith plays a huge part because I know that God is real and God's working through me because of what he's allowed me to accomplish. Um, you know, the light that he's put on me to be uh, a positive influence to kids and young adults uh, to help in, in those moments. Uh, you know, baseball was the podium for me to be on, to give me that opportunity. And I think, you know, God's using that for, for me to help other people that may not have you know, a strong belief or, or understand, you know, or go through a tough time. And just to know that, you know, great things come from struggles. And a lot of times when you're struggling, you know, he, that's that test. And, you know, and I think God gave, has given us tests every every day. And, you know, I think that that was just one of those tests that allowed me to get to this. And I think, uh, you know, without God being in my life, I couldn't have been successful. I don't think I would have my wife and my kids, uh, a career. I don't think I would be able to do any of those successful things without having that blessing in my life. And so, you know, uh, you know, my grandparents from day one woke up in the morning reading the Bible and went to bed reading the Bible. And and to this day, I wake up in the morning and I read the Bible because I think that that's the part that keeps me whole and that it's the probably only thing in my life that I feel is a, a real fulfillment is reading God's word and knowing that he's got a plan for me. Billy, I love it. Um, I always love having you on. You are welcome anytime. It's always beyond a pleasure to have you. And um, I'm looking forward to seeing these results come out again for any writer listening, vote for Billy Wagner. Don't, don't be an idiot. Don't leave him off. Vote for Billy Wagner. Put him on your ballot. That way he can get into the hall of fame. And uh, Billy, looking forward to staying in touch, man, and having you on again soon. 
Oh, anytime, John. It's always a pleasure. I appreciate it. We'll be right back here on Sports Talk Chicago. Bears football coming up. Don't want to miss it. Sports Talk Chicago, John Zaglul back at it here with you. John Meadows directing and producing. Big thank you to all of our great radio and TV affiliates, WKAN 105.5 The Ticket, ACTV, Cities 92.9 FM, WJOB and Jet TV. Um, last segment here of the program going to be Bears heavy, but want to make sure I mention that if you missed any part of this show, including just a captivating, um, honest, candid interview with Billy Wagner, who's on the Hall of Fame ballot for Major League Baseball, who's on his ninth year and may get in this year, Got to go back and podcast it at sportstalkchicago.com. You can watch the full interview as well on the YouTube page at Sports Talk Chicago. You can uh, like the video and also subscribe to the channel for more great interviews and, and content there. Uh, Billy was great and uh, certainly appreciative of him for coming on, especially with the results for the balloting uh, coming out here in a couple of weeks. So we really hope that he gets in. Um, Bears football. <laughs> it's been so much going on. I know people have been... Uh, angry, angry in the comments, angry about what's going on with Justin Fields and the Bears. And boy, do I have a report to get people even more pissed off. (laughs) Well, let me put it this way. Uh, A Bears insider thinks that the Justin Fields decision has already been made. This is via sports mockery, but also it comes from an aggregation of Adam Johns of The Athletic. So here's what John said, though. And this was in an article. He wrote this. I'm surprised he wrote it. Well, the Moneyball reality, though, is that Justin Fields' current level of production, particularly as a passer, shouldn't be that difficult to replace, and that the team adds a quarterback on a rookie contract. The next step for Poles and the Bears can simply be taking Williams or May with the Panthers' pick, and then the best player on their draft board with their own pick, which should still be in the top 10. They could also trade that second first rounder for more draft capital. Ryan Poles? is prepared for these conversations. He built himself this situation. Uh, This is the biggest quote of the day. Ryan Poles, quote, built himself this situation to pivot from fields. If he considered it the best move for the team, his decision comes next. That's Adam Johns talking about Justin Fields and the looming decision that Ryan Poles has to make. People don't want to hear it. People are mad about it, but... Has Justin Fields improved that much? And that's my next question. And I know he's improved a little bit. He's certainly better from, you know, today to year from year one, right? His rookie year was obviously a disaster and, you know, a lot of issues there. There were problems, right? But Justin Fields is a similar quarterback. Justin Fields has always been the same quarterback. He's averaging one touchdown and one pick a game for his entire career. He's averaging on a per season basis less than 3,000 passing yards. I mean, Adam Johns is not incorrect in his assessment. Whether you like it or not, that's up to you, but the numbers don't lie. And I'm going to make comparisons and make thoughts and make prognostications based on numbers and based on the reality of the situation, whether you like it or not. Adam Johns said it cut and dry. Ryan Poles built himself this situation to pivot from fields if necessary. And that field's current level of production, particularly as a passer, I'm not talking about running. He's a great runner. To his credit, I've never once bashed his ability to move the football with his legs, whether it be scrambling, whether it be designed runs. I don't like the fact that running seems to be his first resort over passing, because it's pretty true. If anything breaks down immediately, he's running. That's not what a quarterback should do. But nevertheless, he finds ways to make plays, finds ways to make a highlight reel play per game, move the ball forward, run, and and score, right? I'm not going to bash his running ever. It's great. It's entertaining. 
As a pastor, though, we got a different conversation. We got a different situation that we have to discuss. And Ryan Poles and Kevin Warren and company, I'm sure, are discussing it every single day at Handles Hall. Matt Eberflus isn't because he's going to be fired. I hope. Field's current level of production, particularly, specifically as a passer, shouldn't be that difficult to replace. Shouldn't be that difficult to replace. That's what they say about Justin Fields. And you could cry and whine all you want, but the fact is, based on his numbers, it isn't difficult to replace. He's averaging 195 yards per game this year. That's a record, but that's that that that's his best year ever. Passing. 195 yards per game. People have bemoaned the Bears for years, even as far as I can remember, talking about Jay Cutler, Kyle Orton, Rex Grossman, Tate McDown. Why aren't they ever passing for 300 yards in a game? Well, they could make the same criticism for Justin Fields, too. He's averaging 195 a game, and his passer rating's actually worse than last year. Oh, but, but wait a minute. The interceptions that were counted against him were dropped both times. They shouldn't have counted. B.S. The fact is, these are the numbers, and this is what it says. And what it says here is that he has 15 touchdowns and 9 picks. His completion percentage has regressed back to where it was last year. It's actually almost similar. His passing yards are up. His touchdowns are about the same. They might be a little bit higher if he played a full 16-17 game season. His interceptions are right on par, not going to be worse. So, what are we talking about here? (laughs) I mentioned this last week, and I'm going to say it again because it seems like the calls to keep fields are getting louder and louder. And if you don't agree, you're going to get barraged with comments like we have. Here's the facts of the matter. If you still have to justify and really dig your heels in about the candidacy of Justin Fields, about his future here in Chicago, about what they should do, then you're guilty. And he's guilty of not being able to stay. It's Mitch Trubisky all over again. Whether you supported him or not, the fact is there was a group who loved him and a group who didn't. And those who loved him stuck their heels in forever, even to this day. Those who didn't like him said ship him off after two years in Chicago, let alone four or five that he got. It's the same thing here. And at the end of the day, I like Mitch. He left. And you know what? It worked out. It did work. It worked out for everybody. But now we have a different situation. We have a staunch group of supporters who are Justin Fields truthers, if you will. And then we have those who are actually looking at this from a realistic lens. The reality is hitting, whether people like it or not. 15 touchdowns and 9 picks is not elite. I see people every day, I saw it today, comparing Justin Fields to Lamar Jackson. There were questions being asked to the effect of, maybe not at the numbers level, but should Lamar Jackson and Justin Fields be compared together? you got to be kidding me. But here, And here's the funny part. They leave out the numbers stuff. They say, not at the numbers level, but just on the eye test. They're the same, right? Dumb question. What are you talking about? Leave out the numbers. Lamar Jackson's a winner, MVP, great quarterback. No doubt about it. Justin Fields, way different story. He's not an MVP. He's not a winner. And he's not a great quarterback. He's all right. Everybody is jumping through hula hoops, trying to find ways to justify him staying. Everybody's jumping through, I don't even know, they're they're leaping hurdles to try and keep this kid. I like Justin Fields as a person. I like him as a runner. I don't like him as a passer. 
And economically speaking, financially speaking, for this team, it also makes sense to get rid of him because you're improving the roster around him. You don't have to pay him anything. You're bringing a rookie quarterback with a good roster. That's how you're going to win football games. Dealing with this again is going to be worse. And here's the kicker. Let's say they fire Luke Getz and keep Justin Fields. Let's say Justin doesn't do well next year or does average again. What's the excuse going to be then? It's his third coordinator in four years. The excuses will never end. The justifications will never end. It's just going to be continually defending him. And I'm all right defending somebody if you come out and say, hey, I'm a fan first. Or conversely, if you say, hey, I have some numbers to prove otherwise. There are no numbers to prove that Justin Fields is elite. And the people who continually defend him are not being honest, coming out saying, hey, I'm a fan of him first, so I'm going to defend him. If you're truly a fan of his, you're a follower of his, you know, you've followed him since college, you like him, you have an affinity towards him, and you state that, I got no issue with you defending him. Really, I don't. We all have our favorites. Everybody does. If you say you're unbiased, you're, there's no way, right? Everybody has an inkling or leaning towards somebody. You just heard me talk about Billy Wagner, right? Uh, yeah, I want him to be in the Hall of Fame. I came out and stated that bias. That's fine, right? But when you don't state it, claim you're being unbiased, and then bring up BS numbers that have nothing to do with the situation, or bring up hearsay like, well, I think Justin Fields and Lamar Jackson are similar, but not from numbers, not from a numbers perspective, then you look like a dummy. And I am so sick of jumping through hoops and making unbelievable justifications to keep Justin Fields. At the end of the day, the numbers speak for themselves, whether you like it or not. Sorry. The Bears might keep him and I'll look like an idiot, you know, over the offseason. Oh, see, we told you, you know, oh, they kept him. You know what? He didn't tell me anything. You showed me that they settled for mediocrity at the, at the passing position, not at the running position. He's a great runner. In terms of passing the football, if they keep Justin Fields, they're settling for mediocrity or average quarterback play. He's not a top 15 quarterback in football. And they're going to they're have the number one, maybe number two pick next year. How do you not draft a quarterback when you have that waiting in the wings? You have a roster that's getting better and you could save money in addition to getting rid of somebody who isn't just amazing. He's okay, but he's not amazing. I heard people on the radio last week and now it's coming out more and more saying, well, he may never be an elite quarterback. No one's giving them crap. Why are you giving it to me then? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Justin Fields. He's a nice guy, good quarterback in terms of running, in terms of skill, in terms of athleticism, just not good enough passing. Once we all accept that, it's going to be easier to move on, look towards the future, because there's an exciting future here in Chicago. We're going a new head coach. You draft a quarterback. This roster gets better. You're talking about a 10-win team next year. There's no reason why this team can't win 10 games next year with a better enhanced roster with a new head coach and a new quarterback. No reason why not. But if they keep Justin Fields, just expect the same old, same old to occur. Bears and Falcons are going to be facing off this weekend. Could this be a precursor? to Justin Fields' new team. I, I kid, of course, but there have been lots of talks about Justin Fields going there. Remember, Ryan Pace is an executive there. Uh, Phil Embry's still an executive there. Ryan Pace drafted Justin Fields. Obviously, Pace saw something in him. Maybe something occurs there. <laughs> I don't know, but it's a thought. Fields and company are going to face off against Atlanta this weekend. Atlanta's playing for something right now, but they got their backup quarterback in, Taylor Heineke. Because Desmond Ritter is a bust. That's a fact. Atlanta needs to win to stay alive in the NFC South Divisional race. They're 7-8 and eight right now. 
Tampa Bay's 8-7. and seven. I believe if Tampa wins and the Falcons even win, though, I, I think they might be out. So the Falcons really need to win and get some help. This, they're going to be playing from a position of desperation. Taylor Heineke's been okay in the limited time he's gotten. Four touchdowns, one pick. Heineke, though, in the past, and even up until today, always has interception trouble. He plays a gutsy game, and I like that about him. He's certainly a competitor, but he has interception trouble, completion percentage trouble, as evidenced by his 60% rating or uh, percentage this year. And he's not a starting caliber quarterback. Not running the football, they're going to have Robinson, Bijan Robinson, who, ironically enough, was uh, Roshan Johnson's uh, RB1 in college. B. John Robinson was the number one running back, and Roshan kind of backed him up. So they're going to face B. John Robinson, who's had a great rookie season, despite limited carries, only 188, almost has 1,000 yards, averaging five-plus yards per carry. Tyler Algaier is going to be running two. Cordero Patterson's in the mix now as a running back as well. That's going to be fun. And John o. Smith, Kyle Patrick, London. I mean, this team is not bad in terms of Atlanta. I think they're going to come away with a win in this game because they're playing for their season right now. They're playing for their season. I think it's going to be a close game. If the Bears win the turnover battle, then I'll be wrong, right? I'm fine with being wrong on it, but this is for their season. If they lose, it's over. Even if they win, it could be over. Maybe they're playing for Arthur Smith. He could be on the hot seat, too, at the end of this season. Who knows? They're certainly playing for a new quarterback, though, too. Maybe it'll be Justin Fields. So my prediction for this one is going to be close, but for the Bears, no cigar. Bears going to fall in this one. My prediction is 24 to 20, they lose. The Bears are going to lose this one 24 to 20 to Atlanta. It's going to be a close game, probably going to be a fun game. Maybe Justin Fields does something spectacular again, but just can't come up with a victory when needed. Um, and at the end of the day, everyone's still being evaluated. I think the decision's been made, but. I certainly hope that Fields does well. You know, Eberplus is still in the hot seat. These evaluations, quote-unquote, are still being made, so we'll see how they do, too. Getsy as well. All three of them are in the ringer right now, and we're going to have to see how all this plays out for them and their future. But, you know, this game and then the Packers are all that's left, and then all of a sudden the offseason of chaos will occur, and we're going to see what exactly the Bears deal. Two games left, that's it. Two games left to determine or start to end the determination of their future. There's a lot at stake here. So we'll see how this one plays out. My thoughts are Bears are going to fall on this one, though, 24 to 20. And that'll do it for us here today on Sports Talk Chicago. I appreciate everybody tuning in. A huge, huge thank you to Billy Wagner. If anybody out there is listening, again, especially if you're a baseball writer, vote for him. Put him in the Hall of Fame. He deserves it. Great guy, great person off air, on air. Really happy he joined us here today. Big thank you to John Meadows directing and producing and all of you for tuning in. Follow us all over at Sports Talk Chicago. Hit the like button, subscribe to us on YouTube at Sports Talk Chicago. And a big thank you to all of our great TV and radio affiliates. WKAN 105.5, the ticket, ACTV, JANTV, WJLB, and City's 92.9 Talk FM. Remember, too, you're around on Sunday. We're going to have the live broadcast of Bears Falcons on the Sports Talk Chicago YouTube page. So be sure to check that out as well. Thank you so much for watching and listening. Until next week, so long, everyone.